proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr, and I am your host. Today I am joined with my co-host and longtime friend, Chris Santola. How you doing, buddy? Hey, doing well, man. Good to be back. I am so excited we are back on the air. 2018, all right, brother? 2018. You know, when you think back, 2018 seemed like so far away, and now we're living it. We're living the dream. Living the dream in 2018. <laughs> and right now, it is like Star Wars. I'm in the land of Hoth right here, man. It, yeah. is, it is frozen solid, the frozen solid state of Michigan. I mean, there is so much white. When I walk outside, my beard freezes. You can literally break it off. It's like icicles. Oh, yeah. man. You I know what you mean, man. No, you don't. You can't even <laughs> comprehend what I mean. You're right. I can't. You got um, your... You got, you got your toes in the water. What is it, 65 degrees there? It's about 65 degrees out. It's shorts and t-shirt weather. <laughs> Dude, I bundle up or like I could just like, I could hypothermia, like dead, you know? Yeah. Like we have like these warnings regularly about bringing your dog inside. Like if he has to pee in the house, just let him. Don't don't oh. put him outside. <laughs> you know, it's better he, better he pees in your house than freezes outside. Oh, man. You got to love it. Got to love it. Well, we're missing our, 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 our comrade here in arms. We're missing uh, Zach Fisher. Uh, Zach, hopefully you'll be back with us soon. But uh, the desire to get this thing rolling, we needed to get going, and Zach wasn't available today. So here we are. You got Chris and I going to kind of uh, pounce through it. Hopefully uh, we don't make a mess of things, right, brother? Uh, going to be a good time. <laughs> We're going to talk about some uh, various topics. But before we do that, we should give a little update just kind of bring people up to speed on where we've been, what we've been doing. I'm going to let you go first, kind of just give us a shout out about what you've been doing as you finished up the last six months there of 2017, because we took a little bit of a break. Six months is a little bit of a break, but we're back at it now. So what you been doing, Chris? Well, for the last six months, uh, I have stepped out of vocational full-time pastoral ministry, and I've been back working in a hospital again. I'm a clinical lab technician. And so I have been working over at St. Mary Medical Center here in Apple Valley, California. And aside from that, just been loving the family, loving others, loving Jesus, uh, keeping in study. And that's pretty much been about it. Just prayerfully pursuing where the Lord's going to lead from here, man. And cheating on us by being a guest uh, appearance on uh, some other podcast, by the way. I have, you know, uh, sorry about that. No, <laughs> I've been uh, joining uh, uh, your, your boy, Shinny, Chris Shinvine. And uh, what skinny, we're talking- skinny Shinny is what we call him. Oh, wow. I, I won't share that. <laughs> but yeah, having a good time. I was doing the Reformed Outlook with Chris and uh, now looking at doing a, a new podcast here with him occasionally. Uh, the Crooked Stick, I believe we're calling it. The crooked stick. Is that because you guys are crooked? We well, shouldn't yeah, trust I mean, you? 
Chris says that it was my idea because I always use that saying, you know, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And so uh, hence the name, the Crooked Stick Podcast. <laughs> Have you been doing any reading or enlightening yourself in any way? Uh, I would like to think so. Uh, I've been reading a book called The Word-Centered Church, which has been really good. And also doing a lot of listening, uh, which right now has consisted of Dr. Greg Beal's Biblical Theology course, uh, which I think is on uh, iTunes U. Uh, I think that came out of Westminster Seminary. Uh, really good, really rich. It's like my third time going through it, and it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. There's so much information there that uh, every time I go through it, I'm taking away new stuff. So that's about it. Sweet. Now, I got to ask you, because it's a new year, are you reading through the Bible in a year? I'm not reading through the Bible in a year. You know, I've I've done it, but... Let me guess, you always stop around Leviticus? You know, yeah, I start getting into Leviticus, like where... I, where is that? Is that... I'm thinking... Maybe I'm thinking numbers, where it, it repeats all of the offerings that the 12 tribes gave, and it lists the exact same thing, this huge list, and it's the exact same for each one, but it lists it for each one like down to the item and it's just like why <laughs> because it's the inspired word of god chris yeah well yes but I, but i say there's a reason why did the lord take up this space to include this each time and i think there's probably some reasons for that but uh but no i don't just stop there but, you think but maybe I, it has, I does it have to do with that we're thick-headed and we need to keep hearing that re repetition i i think there's something to uh repetition and, you know, but when it comes to uh, my personal reading, I tend to uh, that I don't just want to read. I kind of have a hard time just you know reading the Bible because I usually don't get more than a matter of a few verses, sometimes a few words before I'm stopping and going, oh, wait, well, that that connects up over here. And what about this? And what about that word? And the next thing you know, I'm totally engulfed. And, you know, I've got all of the 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 commentaries and dictionaries and everything out. I got Logos up on the computer and I'm I'm going at it and I'm going, well, it's I ain't making it through this in a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh personally I've been reading through a two volume set uh by Calhoun on uh Princeton and it kinda goes through the uh the history of Princeton. You know, obviously the foundation is Log College and then Princeton College, which was meant to train uh, pastors, but eventually got more focused on uh, non-clergy, and uh, so they the need to start Princeton Seminary, and of course, Archibald Alexander, Samuel Miller, Charles Hodge, and you move through that line until uh, you get to Warfield and eventually jump over to Machen, and I, I'm just so blessed when I read the Princetonians. Uh, the Princetonians, to me, are uh, a rich heritage that I have been blessed with early on. Uh, I kind of cut my teeth on Hodge's uh, systematic theology early on. Uh, Machen was somebody that I read, I think, literally as a child almost. <laughs> and so uh, I am very fond of those guys. But it's interesting that that uh, book has been something that I've been focused on because in the uh, study of that and some other things, and obviously our desire to plant churches here, that's why we believe truth in mission and mission where they meet. Um, we want to take good gospel, confessional, reformed uh, doctrine and be seeing it on mission. We've been really working through what does it look like? What does it look like to continue to uh, pursue that 
and train others. And so I'm happy to report to all those uh, listeners out there that the Confessional Collective podcast is only one part of what we're ultimately trying to do. Um, many of you know, as you've listened to the podcast, that there's a weekly cohort of uh, church planners and pastors that meets here at First Pres in Trenton, and they get together, and that was really kind of spearheaded after I read uh, The Company of Pastors, which tells the story of Geneva and John Calvin, and how they got together regularly to hold each other accountable for their preaching, church discipline, uh, discipling of other men, and and, and preparing pastors for the churches. So we've been doing that, and so uh, there are other two other elements along with the podcast and the weekly cohort. There's uh, also a resource page which has the confessions listed on it, and not just the Westminster. To everybody's uh, surprise, right? There's also <laughs> the three forms of unity. There's uh, 1689, 39 articles, and those are all resourced there for your use and for your benefit. But then there's one last uh, modular aspect of this website, which is the institute. And it's this institute that is our desire to help educate laymen, uh, those who maybe don't have the opportunity to go away to school or get the training, maybe because of their financial uh, hindrances or whatever. But we've got some great uh, uh, men who have doctorate degrees coming in to teach specific classes, and we're recording those and putting those up so people can walk through those and be trained in a variety of areas for the purpose of ministry in the local church. And we're really, really excited about that, uh, that website that is now uh, available called confessionalcollective.com. And I just am really pumped about the direction of all this because they can only uh, not only listen to our podcast and also uh, use the resource page, but also in the near future as we develop more and more of these classes, be able to do the education that's provided there as well as connect to the weekly cohort uh, through Skype and other things. So just really excited about what 2018 has got in front of us. And it started and stemmed from this desire to how do we better educate the local church? And so that's what I really want to tackle today, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to kind of have you share a little bit about your story, and I think you've done it in, in other podcasts, but I think it's a good segue into the need to raise up um, uh, in the local church uh, pastors and planters and elders and leaders and uh, to really fulfill what 2 Timothy 2.2 is talking about. So if you don't mind just maybe sharing a little bit about your story and, 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 and why this topic, as I know, because we've talked off air, is so near and dear to you. This is something that is near and dear to me because uh, in my beginnings in ministry, uh, which was some, well, in my early 20s, really, I, I was first getting involved in pastoral ministry. Uh, I didn't have the formal education. I didn't have Bible college. I didn't have any college. Um, and, and so all of my study was self-study. Uh, kind of in my late teens to early 20s, I just really started diligently studying the scriptures. I would use any type of resource I could. Uh, MP3 stuff, back then, tapes, uh, everything I could get my hands on, books, uh, and I was just soaking it in. And 
I began to get involved in pastoral ministry because those around me uh, would talk to me and would affirm that, uh, you know, we see a calling of God here upon you to, to serve, to pastor, to minister. And so I began getting involved in pastoral ministry. I was teaching. Uh, eventually, I was asked to take over as the lead pastor of a church, which I did, um, and was involved in full-time pastoral ministry for the last 12 years. But the thing is, I've never uh, gotten into a place where formal education was really a serious possibility for me. It was either a financial issue or a uh, a location issue. Uh, you know, a place that tell me, well, sure, you can come and get into our program where it could roll over and into an MDiv, but it's going to cost you $50,000. Uh, which was not a possibility. I'm almost 40 years old. I've got a family. I have a special needs child, uh, you know, house kids, the whole thing. I'm going, I, that would be irresponsible of me in the place where I'm at right now to do that. But then on top of that, it would also require me to relocate my family somewhere, you know, a thousand or more miles away. And we just said, this is not feasible for us. We're, we're involved. We're engaged in ministry right here, right now. Um, and so, it kind of has left me in a place where I felt, uh, and not to say that there perhaps aren't other options, because someone could listen to this and go, oh, well, you didn't, you didn't know about this. We have this or we have that. Oh, okay, uh, that's great. But, I, you know, for me, just with what I've come across, it didn't leave me any real options. And so uh, at the same time, I have very much continued to pursue my own theological education, but it hasn't been a formal education. And typically, my experience in Reformed circles, you know, having come out of sort of non-denominational evangelicalism, uh, where none of that really seemed to matter a whole lot, into Reformed circles, where, where suddenly it's kind of like, well, wait a second, uh, you're going to be a, a pastor, you need an MDiv. Well, okay, well, now what? And so uh, what we're discussing here has been something that has been kind of near and dear to me because of my background and experience. Well, one of the things we've noticed is a lot of seminaries are, are, are aware of this concern of the relocation, the cost, the, the things that prohibit uh, somebody from getting the training that they need. And they're, they're moving to uh, more of an apprentice style where somebody stays in the local church and then they, they're studying outside. And I, I want to salute the seminaries for moving in that direction because absolutely, I, I believe that is the way to the future. But I also recognize that it's a local church plays a center role role in education. And we got to remember that it was the local church uh, through specifically presbyteries and that that moved towards the the need of let's develop a seminary for training. But it's all started because individuals recognize their need to raise up and uh, others to fulfill that Second Timothy 2.2. 2. I go back again to the book that Calhoun refers to and Princeton College uh, before it became Princeton College was called Log College, which was uh, started by the Tenets. Uh, and their job, Gilbert Tennant, was his desire was to see church planning um, happen in, in the West. And of course, at the West at that time was like New Jersey. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and but how are we going to do that without if we're not raising up uh, pastors? 
And so he created a log college to do that. And of course, Princeton College initially was set up to raise up pastors. And we have uh, we have uh, those uh, heads of state that came through Princeton and obviously got involved in government and other things. And so there's a, a lot of prestigious men that have walked through the corridors of Princeton College. But as everything, it eventually became more focused on developing those heads of state and, and mathematicians and scientists than it did about uh, the ministers that it was originally set up to start with um, and before. And so then came Princeton Seminary. And again, there was a need to rethink the way we're doing ministry. And so again, I just, I'm, I'm trying to lay down the foundation that we always need to be thinking about how do we go forward? How do we continue to make sure that the gospel advances so that we're raising up men um, and women for the cause that Christ is calling them in, in the ministry of the local church? Uh, here at First Prize, we offer a lot of classes. I did a systematics class for uh, women. We called Her Theology Matters. Uh, but in those things, I recognize that even I'm limited uh, in my capability. And, 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 and so I recognize the need to get outside help. If I'm going to raise up church planners through my residencies and my internships, I needed to get other people to speak into them. And, and so in the, the, um, the, the strategizing, the plan, as they called the Princeton plan, well, in my plan to how do I raise up these planters, I realized I needed to reach out uh, to some other friends who have doctoral degrees and say, hey, would you come in? teach a class on whatever well let's record that class let's start let's start making it available for others to take that class as well obviously we're not doing it for credit we're not we're not filling necessarily the same vibe as the seminary but we are definitely trying to raise up leaders in michigan and i think that's a worthwhile endeavor and and obviously uh as our own story goes god can raise up men um out of anywhere for his God can raise up men and God can raise up men anywhere for his purposes. And that's what we're excited about. So uh, just, just, I guess one question I'd have for you, Chris, is you've looked at it. You, you stressed money as one of the major hurdles as well as relocation. Um, when you look at that, do you, do you think that most people, um, just, you know, do you think that, that they have the same concerns, it's money and relocation, or do you think maybe there's some other issues in there? I think those are definitely two of the big ones. Um, <clears throat> I, I think one of the other considerations can also be that they want to find a school that is a good, uh, theologically conservative uh, type of seminary. And in some cases, I think, uh, you know, that the options for them are very limited. And so I think that can be another one of the, the limiting factors on that as well. Yeah, because there's, there's obviously a plethora of schools and there's a there's a there's a, a wide variety of everything from non-denominational to denominational uh, type of, of education you can get. But what I hear you saying is, but a conservative confessional reform school, there may be limited choices. Now, if I do that, I can only move maybe to Florida or I can only move to North Carolina or California. And there's certain schools that I can go to that fit those 
those uh, right. identity markers, but I can't just go anywhere. And of course, I miss Jackson, Mississippi, and I miss St. Louis and <laughs> all the other places where great reform schools are. So I was just talking quickly, but you get the point that there are, but it's not, you can't just go to any state and say, okay, there's a good reform confessional school right nearby. Right. And that creates a problem right. because where do I go? Um, what are some things you think that were important as you were wrestling through for your own training that the guy who says, okay, everything you guys are talking about is great, but I went to the confessional collective site and you guys don't even have any of these modulars up yet. Well, that's right because they're coming here in 2018 and we're starting to work through them. But what are things they can be reading and doing and tr to, to prepare themselves now, things that you've been doing? Oh, I think that there's a ton. Um, you know, we live in an age where there is so much right at our fingertips uh, or, or right on the screen of your smartphone these days uh, that, you know, honestly, I, I can't imagine how we couldn't avail ourselves of some of these resources. Um, you can look up iTunes U. They've got stuff from RTS. They've got stuff from Westminster. They've got stuff from, uh, I believe, Covenant Seminary. And those are just a few that I've been through a, a number of their courses on there. You can just go on there. I mean, it's not technically auditing the class, but basically you can go through and listen to all of the lectures for free. And, you know, you can take advantage of all of that kind of thing. The other thing, I mean, just books. Uh, you know, there's so much available out there. They're not expensive for the most part. Um, you can always find those uh, those ones that are going to run you a little chunk of change. But, uh, you know, save those for your Christmas list <laughs> or your birthday. And, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, there are so many different resources that are available, whether digital or, uh, or books or whatever. Uh, I would suggest going that route and, uh, and just engaging with, uh, in relationships with others around you. If you can connect with other confessional reformed uh, pastors, elders uh, in your own church, even and uh, you know engage with them in theological dialogue. Um, <clears throat> allow others to to press back into you. That's you're making a great point because it's not just the fact that I'm listening to a lecture; it's the interaction as I'm learning. People mm -hmm. pressing in me, me asking questions, them asking questions or follow-up questions to my statements. That's how we learn. That's how we grow because it's not just uh, reading it, but it's thinking that creates great theologians. And in that process of thinking, you have to start to own it and wrestle through it. And that process can happen anywhere because especially of all the technology we have. But one of the things I specifically got attracted to was in talking to a lot of different um, people who are working with education today is the, 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 the struggle between the practical application stuff versus the core things. But you also have well, what you, when deciding what is essential, what's what's necessary. Um, I know there's a lot of debate about the languages today. To me, I think the languages are essential. I think somebody walking through needs to have uh, at least a working knowledge of what is the computer doing when it's translating for me. You know, <laughs> what is a genitive? What what is what does it mean when it when it says that or when it says you know when it's parsing a verb? What is it doing? And 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 if people don't have a good handle at least on what the computer's doing, you know, we're going to make all kinds of assumptions that are dangerous. But at the same time, I don't know that everybody needs to be uh, an expert in uh, Latin. Uh, to be to be a good pastor, but there's always this tension 
about the pastor theologian, right? There's always this tension about uh, making sure that pastors don't just know how to parse verbs, but they know how to care and care for the sheep. And what does it look like to do that? Um, and so I understand the tension the seminaries are in. I understand the tensions uh, men are like you are in where they're saying, hey, here I am. I want to plant a church. I want to serve the Lord uh, in the local church, but I need help and I can't relocate. I can't, I can't pay $50,000. And, and so it's a real dilemma the church finds itself in today as it's trying to figure out what do we require for a candidate for ordination? How, right. how do we make it available for him to walk through the door? Now, you went through a different process. You were a commission pastor. Explain what that is. Uh, basically, uh, I was a commission pastor with the RCA denomination for uh, a number of years. And with that, there is a process of training and examination and uh, evaluation. And then they bring you in and commission you as a pastor and a commission pastor uh, is brought in as opposed to those who would have the MDiv or the doctorate who uh, could be examined and then made a minister of word and sacrament. Uh, but uh, the commission pastors tended to be uh, guys like myself that, uh, that didn't have the formal education, but kind of went an alternate route. And in fact, I believe uh, w- with you guys, Aaron, it, that's what they uh, refer to it as is kind of a... Uh, uh, what alternative, uh, <laughs> S- special, special case or a Spe- special uh, circumstances. Uh, special or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. In, in that you were allowed to do preach. You were allowed to do administer the sacraments. Um, but you were specifically only, um, to function in that particular church. Correct. Right. You, it didn't go with you. You couldn't jump from that church to another church and carry the credentials. Right. right. Like right now, uh, since stepping away from the position uh, I was serving in, I am no longer considered a commission pastor with the RCA. And, uh, you know, and, you know, there's this tension with what you were saying, too, because I love what you were talking about between the 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 pastor theologian that we want shepherds, but we want them to have the the training and the the knowledge with that so we're looking for this well-rounded minister and one of the things i think is crucial in that is that there is an interaction a, a working together between uh the the educators the the seminaries or or you know the classroom however you want to put that and the local church that that's all of that is kind of working together as opposed to the, the seminary kind of being a whole separate entity from the local church. Because as we began by saying, you mentioned earlier, that it, the, the seminary originally arose out of the, the needs there in the local church. Not that the seminary gave us the church. It was the church that gave us the seminary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and as I referred to, I think there is, it has to be intentionality about what it is you're trying to do or what you're trying to produce. I, I, I was kind of tongue in cheek when I said the plan. It was what that's what it was called by Archibald Alexander as he began to work through the plan of of Princeton and as he began to think through what was it to be a a Princeton a Princeton man. And I think we all have to have a plan as we begin to think through what is it that we're ultimately trying to do? What is it we're trying to create? And I and I do think this tension is real 
between yeah. we want theologians, men who can handle the word of God, but are good shepherds, practically walking with sheep, feeding sheep, carrying sheep. Um, and, and those things uh, require time. And I don't think somebody straight out of seminary is, is just automatically going to be a great pastor, nor do I expect somebody who, who, well, he's, he's really great with people. Well, he also needs to be trained. So there's that tension right. all the time back and forth, but it's the plan. What do we do? How do we do this? What I really do believe is this, is this, is this importantness aspect of, 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 of thinking strategically, what are we trying to achieve and how do we move forward and wrestling through those components. And I am so glad seminaries are doing that right now. As we've already stated through apprenticeship programs, uh, they're also doing things like where if you pay a third, your church pays a third, the seminary pays a third. They're trying to work through some of these things we say are obstacles, but all I'm saying is the local church has a responsibility to step up and get involved. We need to be training and raising up because it's not just as you and I've said off the air, it's not just pastors that we're after, but it's elders, it's, it's laymen who can handle the word correctly and, and lead their families well, lead the congregation well, disciple well, discipline well, um, all of those things. And so we all have to be involved in the plan. We all have to be yeah. part uh, part of the process of making things better. And I think that's what we're hoping to do through the Confessional Collective is to be part of the solution rather than just griping about the problems. Yeah. You know, we, like you said, we want to see more and we want to see better because uh, we want to see more pastors out there. Uh, we want to see more church planters out there. We want to see churches being planted that are healthy and vibrant and theologically robust and uh, and, you know, we want to see pastors being able to uh, rise up and lead those churches. We want to see elders who are better equipped to serve as elders. And I think that uh, that is what we are really pushing towards in what's happening with the collective. And if this excites you uh, as you're listening to uh, to us talk about this, man, send us a text uh, through a message through Facebook or whatever. Let us know that what we're talking about, man, you're, you're jiving with because that encourages us. And again, visit our website. It's something that's in, it's in flux right now because we're developing it, but you can visit it and see what we're, we're talking about. There's an institute part. Uh, where there's going to be modular education that'll be on that. There is the resources page, which has the confessions that are used uh, for your benefit. And they're, hopefully they're, uh, you'll find that a blessing. But then there's obviously the cohort part, where if you'd like to visit one of our, uh, our cohorts and, and visit us through Skype, we're going to try to make that uh, happen. We, uh, we would love to see those cohorts be set up all over the nation of church planters and pastors who are confessional getting together and encouraging each other, just as we're doing here in Michigan. And of course, the last part is please just keep listening to the podcast. <laughs> made by our plug man we're back at it we want to we want to keep all of you uh, on board with us and so hopefully this uh this this show has uh, been a blessing today an encouragement to you i know i have been very encouraged just to see the smiling face of the bearded wonder across from <laughs> me here so so with that i guess i'll say peace out and have a great week chris hey have a great week you guys thanks for listening to the confessional collective podcast more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.